If you've got your Bibles this morning, please turn with me to the book of John, Gospel according to John, chapter 20. We're going to look just at a few verses as we have finished Eastertide and now as we celebrate Pentecost. It should be also um, on your Pew Bible on page 906. It should be 906 in the Pew Bible. And um, like I said, we're, we're finishing up Eastertide and um, we're looking at Pentecost. And we're actually going to look at a passage of Scripture that did not occur on Pentecost, but we'll, uh, we'll, we'll look at why that is the case in just a second. Um, so forgiveness is probably not a word that comes to your mind if you're familiar with the story of Pentecost and what happened in the outpouring of the Spirit. Um, but we're going to see how it is very closely related to what happened on that first Pentecost Sunday, at least for Christians. Um, but uh, forgiveness is a tricky thing, isn't it? We, we struggle often with forgiving others, with releasing others from the consequences of the things that they've done wrong, even, even when they ask for forgiveness. Many of us, perhaps all of us at times, find it difficult to ask for forgiveness. Sometimes we don't even know why that's the case, isn't it? We, I, I don't want to do this. I know I was wrong. I know that they were right. And I need to ask for their forgiveness, but I don't even know why I don't want to do this. And all of us probably at times in our life have found it difficult when somebody refuses to forgive us. When we know that we've done wrong and we come in deep sorrow and contrition, we ask for forgiveness, and they do not grant us that forgiveness. Uh, forgiveness is a big deal in terms of the Christian life, and as we've just prayed, our ability to forgive other people and our ability to think clearly and act appropriate, appropriately regarding forgiveness is closely related to receiving forgiveness from God. Now, we're going to look, as I mentioned a second ago, at John 20, and the, the main point of the sermon here, and which I believe is the main point of the text as well, is that because Jesus gave his apostles the Spirit, we can find forgiveness through that message. Because Jesus gave his apostles the Spirit, we can find forgiveness through that message. Now, let's think for a second about what Pentecost was, at least in the Bible. A Pentecost is not... Is not, uh, it doesn't occur first in the New Testament. It's an Old Testament holiday. Um, it is called different things in the, in the first five books of the Bible. It's called sometimes the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Sevens. It was, it, it was seven weeks after um, the Passover in that event. And so um, uh, there, there were 49, we would reckon it 49 days afterward, although Jews counting exclusively would have, would have considered it 50 days, um, it was when the wheat harvest was beginning to come in. So it was a first fruits. It was sometimes called the day of first fruits uh, or the feast of harvest. And all, at least all the men were required to come wherever the, the sanctuary was, first the tabernacle, later the temple, and to offer sacrifices. And again, it was associated with the, the first fruits of the harvest. So this is beginning to come in, and uh, the, 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 fruit, the harvest is beginning to come in at that time. And it was 
It was that day as the early disciples were meeting together to pray and as there were people from all around who gathered into Jerusalem for this feast um, that the Spirit descended on the apostles as, flame, as uh, tongues of fire. They received the ability to speak in other languages and they spoke the great acts or the magnificent acts of God in languages that those around them could hear. And then Peter explained what occurred by appealing to the Old Testament prophecy of Joel, Joel 28-32, through that God would pour out His Spirit on all flesh, and their sons and their daughters would prophesy, their old men would dream dreams, and, and so on. And then he concluded that, concluded that with that last verse in Joel 2.32, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so that was what we're, that's what we're commemorating uh, on this Sunday morning, again, seven weeks after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Well, we're looking at a story that happened on that first resurrection Sunday, John chapter 20. And I think to, to understand this, um, it, it's going to be very helpful if we rehearse what happened in the prior days because so much of what the Lord says and does to these apostles uh, is bound up in the things that he had said just a few days earlier. So, rewinding a little bit, the Thursday before this, this first day, um, was, uh, it begins John 13, was when Jesus had gathered to celebrate what we call the Last Supper, the Passover meal with his apostles. And that was the, uh, that's what we celebrate when we have our Monday Thursday service here. That's what we remember. He washed their feet as a slave would wash, um, would wash uh, feet. He, he performed that task, and then he explained to them that he was giving them a new commandment. That's where we get our word Monday, and as Matt said, that's not a mispronunciation of the day of the week, Monday. It comes from the Latin word mandatum, a command. New command I give you that even as I have loved you, you also love one another. Then he explained many different things, and we, we heard some of those things, John chapter 14 in the Gospel reading a little while ago, explained several things about what, what was happening. He began this, what appears to be mostly a speech, although there's some dialogue in there as well. He began that in that upper room there, and apparently in the middle of it, or sometime while he was speaking, they got up and they went outside of Jerusalem, the city proper at least, outside the city walls to the Mount of Olives, to the garden, where later that Thursday night, Judas came, bringing those who would arrest Jesus. He came in, uh, he was brought in, having been arrested. There was something of a kangaroo court. They... Um, he was found guilty of a political crime. That's why you see the king of the Jews, the king of the Jews, the king of the Jews as an unlawful king. He was crucified Friday morning, and then he died Friday afternoon, the same day he was crucified, which, which didn't always happen. And he was buried that Friday evening into a most likely a, a, something of a small cave. And there were women who saw where he was buried, and then... Saturday, the Jews, and Jesus as well, rested. Early on Sunday morning, John says, while it was still dark, the beginning of John 20, Mary Magdalene came out to the tomb. She sees that the, the stone which had sealed the opening is 
rolled away. She looks in. She doesn't see Jesus. She runs back. She tells the apostles. Peter and John, um, they run. And a, a um, line you've got to love, John outran uh, Peter to the tomb, but he didn't go in. Uh, and then they look in. They don't see Jesus. They go home. Mary Magdalene's following behind. And she runs into Jesus, who has been raised from the dead. And she sees him, but she doesn't recognize him until he calls her by name, Mary. And then she knows. And he says, don't, don't cling to me. I still have to ascend to my father. She runs back. She tells the apostles. And it's that day, um, it's that evening, as we're going to see in just a second, that these events transpire. So let's, uh, let's begin reading now John 20, verses 19 through 23. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Let's go to the Lord in prayer one more time. Lord, I pray now as we meet together that the words of my mouth as I seek to preach and proclaim your word would be pleasing in your sight. And I pray that the thoughts of all of our hearts would also be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I believe it was, as we look at this passage in John chapter 20, there are four things that all revolve, or maybe I should say lead up to the theme of forgiveness that we see in verse 23. Uh, the first thing I believe we see in verse 19, and it's easy to miss, where it says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, and then John says right here, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Now, John could have just said, Jesus came where they were and said, peace be with you. But he says two things. He says, number one, it was evening. And then, number two, the doors were locked for fear of the Jews. Now, I think there are a couple things that are, that are happening there. Again, they, they can be easy to miss. First of all, this is evening of that first day. Why, why does that matter? Well, there have been a few things that happen in the Gospel according to John, either in the darkness or the evening. The first thing that we see that happens in the evening in the Gospel according to John is that Nicodemus comes to Jesus with all these questions at night when it's dark. Another thing that happens is Judas goes out to betray Jesus. And it was night, John says, uh, at the moment when he does that. Another thing that happens is that Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb. It says, John chapter 20, I mentioned this a second ago. Um, on the first day of the week, this is uh, chapter 20, verse 1, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. So, three things. Happened in the evening. Nicodemus comes to Jesus with these questions. What do you mean? What are you talking about? A person needs to be born again. How can a man be born a second time when he is old? Nicodemus says. Judas goes out to betray Jesus. Mary Magdalene, 
she comes to the tomb distraught while it's still dark, and Jesus comes to his disciples while they're scared, and it's, it's evening. It's dark. Um, I think the reason that John is telling us that it was dark is because it was not only physical, physically dark, there was darkness still in their hearts. <clears throat> they were still living in confusion. confusion. Nicodemus is confused. Um, Judas has embraced darkness. Mary Magdalene is confused and hurt. They're scared and confused. And it's dark. As John says in the prologue, this is chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus came to those who were confused and scared. They were living in the darkness. And I think the first point in this passage that we see is that Jesus comes to those who are in fear and darkness. Jesus comes to those in fear and darkness. Now, the, the appearance here, it appears, appears to be supernatural. Yes, the, the doors were locked, but it, it, John doesn't say how exactly Jesus came in. Maybe, maybe when you envision uh, this story, you think of Jesus walking through the wall. It doesn't say that he walked through the wall. It doesn't say that he materialized in uh, front of them in Star Trek fashion. It doesn't say how. He just came to them supernaturally in their fear and in their confusion. And they, they know it's they know it's Jesus, as we'll see in a second. Now, what, what follows from this? Um, humility and confidence. First of all, if, if, you're, if you're an apostle and you're proclaiming this message and you mention this story, uh, there's no place to say, yeah, I knew what was going on. I, I realized what had happened. I, of all the apostles, I'm the one who, who knew. No, you were... You were behind locked doors. You were scared. And you were living in darkness as well. When we, when we think about the Lord Jesus Christ, and we think about what He's done in our lives, there's no place for pride, is there? We, we all were born in darkness. Um, the truth that we have, we received from God. And there's no place for pride. There's no place for arrogance in the Christian life. Jesus comes to those who are in fear in darkness, but also there is a place for confidence in God. Um, Jesus came to those who were scared and they could have confidence in Him knowing that He had accepted them. And the same is true for us today. When we know that Christ and His grace has accepted us, gives us confidence. We have, as the author of Hebrews says, confidence to come to the throne above with prayers, with petitions, knowing that God accepts us not because of our goodness, not because of our abilities, not because of our willpower, but because of His grace. Secondly, though, we see in this passage is not only that Jesus comes to those who are in fear and darkness, Jesus came to bring peace. We also see at the end of verse 19, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Now, couple things that happen here. He, he says, peace be with you. And then it says in verse 20, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad or they rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So he says, peace. And then he, he shows them his hands, the scars, the proof of his crucifixion, and the side where the spear came and blood and water 
gushed out. Shows them his side. He shows them his hands. And then it says in verse 21, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. Now, there's definitely a ring of truth here, right? If you see someone who had died and you know that they're dead and then they're alive, your first thought is going to be, okay, I, this, is, this is not right. I'm seeing things. This is not, this is not really happening. This is a dream. And, and so he's, he shows that it's not indeed a dream. And then he says, peace to you again. Now, um, again, there, there, are, there are several several things going on here. By the way, I think the, the, the first verse of 1 John uh, is where John says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and have touched with our hands. The word touched is more than just this. It means you, you feel something. You know what it feels like. We've touched, we've handled with our hands uh, <clears throat> concerning the word of life. And then he goes on speak of Jesus. So it's, it's as if John is saying, we've seen it, we've, we've gazed at it, we've beheld it, we've looked at it for a while, felt it with our hands, the word of life which we're preaching to you that we might have fellowship with you and, and with the Father. Um, so the disciples, they, they see, they, they touch Jesus, they know that He's real, and He brings peace to them. Now, a couple of possibilities with Him saying, peace be with you. Number one, it could be just a normal Jewish greeting. Shalom would be the, the Hebrew word. Maybe he's just giving them a, a, a normal greeting. Or it could be that he's making a deeper point than that. And I think the reason I, I wanted to walk through what happens in the earlier chapters of John, when you look at those earlier chapters and the things that the Lord has said just a few days earlier, I think it's far more likely that he's making a point by saying twice, peace be with you, Peace be with you. For he just said on that Thursday night beforehand, in John chapter 14, verses 25 through 27, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, and the word Helper right there is the one that Luke has already mentioned, parakletos or paraclete, as we say in English sometimes, counselor, comforter, one who comes along beside you and serves as an advocate for you. So the Helper, that is the Paraclete, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And then notice what Jesus says. Peace I leave with you. And another time, My peace I give to you. So I'm going to leave the Helper with you. I'm going to send, or the Father's going to send the, the Helper, the Paraclete, the Spirit of Truth. In My name, My peace I leave with you. Then he says, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And this, Jesus was fulfilling that now. The Spirit was going to be with the apostles. And He was leaving His peace. It helps too if we remember that peace in Scripture is more than simply the absence of conflict. Or the absence of anxiety. It's, it, there's a wholeness, a health, a completeness that goes along with that. And so he says, I'm giving you peace as no one else can give to you. And then, he's, and then he gives them the Holy Spirit as well, just like he said he would in John chapter 14. So when Jesus says, peace be with you, it, I don't think it's, it's, it's not just a greeting. It's not just, 
Hey guys, what's up? He is blessing them. He's, he's granting them peace. And ultimately, so through that message, through their word, as we'll see in just a second, we experience peace and wholeness and flourishing. And so what we see from this, from this little statement, my peace I, I give to you, then peace be with you, see my hands, see my side, peace be with you, is that peace, flourishing, wholeness, health, ultimately only come through Christianity. The message of Jesus Christ. Many of us perhaps feel broken, despondent, confused, like the apostles locked in that room, disturbed. And we, we read these words and we see that wholeness ultimately comes from God alone through Christ and the power of His Spirit. Where are you looking for? For wholeness. Some of us, we followed Christ for years, but it's so easy as we're, as we're walking on the road to get distracted at things that in themselves are good, but they're not, they're not the way, as Jesus told Thomas. Um, and then we find ourselves looking for, for peace, for wholeness, for personal flourishing in good things created by God, but things that are not God Himself. We look sometimes, we become so wrapped up maybe in what job to pursue or how things are going at work that we're looking for peace and wholeness through that when only Jesus gives us peace. Perhaps it's financial security. Is it good to be responsible financially? Absolutely. But we can get distracted um, with that good thing and begin looking for peace in financial security and wholeness, flourishing through that. Sometimes it's academic success for those of you who are students. Maybe it's a, a political party. We get so wrapped up into whether our team wins or not or whether our team is winning or not. Those all are good things, but they're not going to bring us the wholeness that only Christ provides us through His, through His Spirit. We can lose a job we can lose our financial security. We can not find academic success and yet still find our peace and wholeness through God. So Jesus comes to those who are confused and living in darkness. Jesus comes to bring peace and Jesus also brings His Spirit. He says in uh, the end of verse 21, second half of verse 21, as the Father has sent me, even so I, have sending, I am sending you. Now that's a... That's something that Jesus has said many times throughout the Gospel according to John. And I'm not, I won't spend time on that. If you have a reference Bible, you can trace those uh, things. Jesus has constantly been saying, the Father has sent me, the Father has sent me. And toward the end in that farewell discourse, He mentions sending His apostles as the Father has sent Him. But then it says in verse 22, and when He had said this, He breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, occasionally, if you're studying this text, you'll say, well, this is John's version of Pentecost. Um, John just saw it very differently. And I, that's, that's not what is happening at all right there. It's, a, it's the wrong day. It's, it's, the wrong, it, it's, it's wrong in many ways. What, so what's happening right there? It, I don't 
I don't think either that Jesus is, through, through breathing on them, that there was a moment where actually the, the Spirit rested on them in a different way because Thomas is absent. Thomas is not there, and he was one of the apostles as well. What, what's happening, happening there? Well, the word in verse 22 for breathed on, it's not used at all. It, it, at least the, the Greek word is not used at all in the rest of the New Testament. It's not often used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. One of the places it is used is Genesis 2-7, which says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. So it's a reference to original, the original creation. And Jesus, on the first day of the week, is starting a new creation, and that new creation will happen through the Gospel message, through the message of His apostles. And I, did, I forgot to mention, when, when I was talking about, um, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. The word for send is where we get our word apostle from. The word apostle means one who is sent, an envoy, uh, the sent one. And so that's why we call them not only disciples, we call them apostles because they are sent by Jesus Himself. And He brings on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. So I think He's explaining to them what the Holy Spirit will be in their lives and in their ministries. Uh, now, word for Spirit in many languages, including our, include the, the, the English language, Greek, Hebrew, the word for spirit is associated with air. And so, again, in, in English, uh, you know, think about our word spirit and, and uh, the word for respiration has to do with, it's, again, it comes from the same, same root there. To inspire, breathe in. Expire, breathe out. Somebody who is expired has breathed out for the last time. All those are associated. Well, the same is true in, in Greek. Our word for pneumatic tools is related for the Greek word for spirit. You see this in the Old Testament as well. You see Jesus explicitly mentioning this association in John 3, 5-8, through 8, where He says to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water in the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The, then it says, the wind blows where it wishes, or it could be translated, the Spirit blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Then we also see at, at the first Christian Pentecost, so to speak, in Acts 2.2, right before the Spirit comes, there's a violent rushing wind that comes. Then the tongues of fire come down. Um, and then the disciples receive utterance. They receive the ability to speak in other languages. So, in other words, since Jesus died, He rose from the dead, He was granting His apostles which symbolized through, through the air, through breathing on them, He was going to give His disciples the Holy Spirit uh, to carry on the work to which He called them. And uh, to carry on His own work as well. And we see several times Him explaining this 
again in earlier chapters. Let me read just a couple of passages, just a few pages earlier. One from John 15, and then a little bit longer one from John 16, just to explain this so we can see the role of the, the Spirit in their lives uh, and in their ministry. So the very end of John chapter 15, verses 26 and 27, says, But when the Helper, and there's our word again, paraclete, comforter, advocate, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about Me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with Me from the beginning. So Jesus gives His Spirit. His Spirit will bear witness, will be evidence for Jesus and for His own work. Second passage, John 16, 4-15. through 15. Again, John 16. And I'm going to read just the second half of verse 4. John 16, second half of verse 4. Um, all the way to verse 15. He says, I do not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to Him who sent me. There's again an allusion. The Father sending Jesus and then He's going to send His apostles. To Him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. Now that's, that's, I mean, that in itself is a profound statement right there. Jesus is telling His apostles that they're going to be in a better situation when He's gone than when He was there. It is to your advantage, He says. Um, And it's, I think it's worth thinking very carefully about that the same Spirit is with us here today. And if the Spirit was to their advantage, it's to our advantage as well. Verse 8, And when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in Me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see Me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes... He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare to you. All that the Father has is Mine. Therefore, I said that He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. So Jesus says, you'll have the Spirit of truth. He'll take what is Mine and He'll declare it to you, and He will guide you in all the truth. So the Spirit, uh, excuse me, so Jesus comes to those who are in darkness and confused. Jesus comes bringing peace. And Jesus brings His Spirit. And when we look at what the Spirit is to, to be in and through the apostles, that brings us to forgiveness as well. So Jesus also brings forgiveness. Then he says to the apostles, so moving back to moving back to John, John 20 now, verse 23, right after he says, receive the Holy Spirit, he says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So receive the Spirit, and if you grant forgiveness to individuals, they're forgiven. If you don't grant forgiveness to individuals, they're not forgiven. Now we could could read this and we could think, okay, so Peter is standing by the gates of heaven. He says, okay, you're forgiven. You come on in. Um, 
there's, there's Miriam, whom I knew in um, grammar school, and, and Peter's thinking, I, you know, I had a crush on her and asked her out, and she said, no, I'm not going to, we're not going to, we have the spirit, I'm not going to grant forgiveness to her, you, it, it's withheld. That's not what's happening here. So when we think about who the apostles are, that as the, as the Father has sent Jesus into the world, so Jesus has sent the apostles, as Jesus had the Spirit, they have the Spirit. It's through their message that they speak and that we have today, it's through that message that we find forgiveness or we receive condemnation. Um, in other words, you see the same type of thing here. Again, I've, I've, I've tried to restrain myself, uh, but with John, everything is connected to everything, so just you're just going to have to indulge me a little bit. Uh, it's the same type of thing that we see in John chapter 3 again, and whether this is Jesus speaking or whether it's John commenting on um, Jesus' message, we don't know, but where Jesus says, or the, the Lord says in his word, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So God the Father sent God the Son into the world to save the world. We can assume God the Son sends His apostles into the world whose message we still have today in order to save the world. Verse 18, For whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. If this is the judgment, the light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So the light has come to us. It, through this message, through Jesus, and through the apostles' declaration that He has died for our sins and that He's risen from the dead. And it's through that message that we either receive forgiveness or if we refuse that message, we receive condemnation as well. So, or, or, we, or instead. Now, so what should we do in light of the coming of the Spirit, the sending of the Spirit, uh, to the apostles, the apostles' proclamation, and so on. We must respond in faith to the Word. In other words, to, to the message here that we receive. And ultimately, the message of Jesus' death, His resurrection, His ascension, and coming again. Um, Jesus later says, when Thomas has joined them, He says to Thomas, you know, Thomas goes through the same thing. He says, peace be with you. Uh, and then he says in verse 27 of chapter 20, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus says, verse 29, Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. 
He's pronouncing a benediction, a blessing on those who haven't seen Him. We are of those who have not seen Jesus face to face. We believe through the Word. And Jesus says we're blessed through that as well. And so it's important for us to, to believe through the Word. Jesus says again in John chapter 6, verses 63, when people are wanting more miracles, they're, they're wanting Him to produce more uh, bread out of nothing. And He says, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. In other words, it's not going to help you at all if I simply fill your bellies. Then He says, the words that I have spoken to you are Spirit and life. And the same is true for us today. The words of Jesus our spirit and life. We receive the Spirit through His Word as well. We receive life as well from His, from His Word. And so it's important for us to respond in faith and to continue to respond in faith throughout our life. Another thing that, that I think, uh, one way as we seek to apply this, and this is a, this is a, uh, this is a little shakier, but I'm just going to go ahead and, and, and say it anyway. When, so when Jesus died, um, it says water and blood came from his, from his side. Now, people much smarter than I will talk about the pericardium or whatever, and scientifically, scientifically what might be going on. But again, with, with John, you see again that the, the things that he describes mean more than they seem to me. And so later, later in John, or actually, the, the epistle of John, 1 John 5, 6 through 9, uh, it says, he's talking about Jesus, and he says, This is he who came by water and blood. Jesus came by water and blood. Water and blood came out from him. He came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. The, and the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify the Spirit and the water. And the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the Spirit of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that He is born concerning His Son. So the water and the blood come out of His side. John says the water and the blood testify along with the Spirit. What's, what's he talking about? What's the time in our service when we think about the blood of Jesus? So we have the Lord's Supper. What it, when does water mean the most to us? in terms of what we do as a church, is through baptism. And so, when we think about how to receive the Word, how to respond to the Spirit, it's important for us to take the sacraments seriously. And to remember that what we do is not to be some mindless ritual, but it's something that God uses to communicate truth um, and His presence to us as well. And the, the last thing is, as we think about this, it's not only responding in faith to the Word, it's not only taking the sacraments seriously, but it's also remembering that we live in the midst of a, of a world that stands condemned before God. And they need this message as well. And the same Spirit who inspired and rested upon the apostles and guided them into all the truth remains with us today through Pentecost. And we need the Spirit to fill us that we may serve others. And spread that message out as well. Let's go to the Lord now in prayer. Lord God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the Spirit. We thank You for the opportunity to respond spiritually. Thank You for the opportunity to respond physically to who You are. May we take Your truths seriously. 
Please change us through that same spirit that the apostles received. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.